Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. Good to sing together, to worship together, to praise the Lord together. So let's go to the Lord. Father, I want to thank you for each one here. I ask, Father, please, that you will just carry your message. Preach it. Help people to receive what you have for them to receive. Help us to recognize that we are meeting with you individually in here, but collectively as a, as a family in Christ, that we would sense even more, Father, at this time, your, your spirit, your, your presence, your, your working in our midst. And I pray, Father, please, that the message, Father, will just be enlightening where you would have it to be and encouraging and compelling. And I pray it will bring you honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We're looking at part three of the prayers of the apostles. And we're looking at forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a popular word, but it is an extremely important reality in our life as Christians, isn't it? We need forgiveness. I'll just preface just a little bit of my message that I heard a pastor saying that the word forgiveness is not emphasized that much in the gospel in churches very much anymore. There, the emphasis is of receive Christ and go to heaven when you die. But the emphasis of needing to really repent and to, to seek God and forgiveness is something that's too weighty, too heavy. We don't like thinking about that, but repentance is essential for our walk with God. It's essential for our relationship with him. It's essential in our, for our growth in him. And as we repent, we experience his forgiveness and he teaches us how to be people that forgive as he forgives us. And so it's of great importance in our Christian walk, and it's not to be overlooked. And so again, this message uh, is on forgiveness, the prayers of the apostles, how they prayed for that. Over the last few weeks, as you know, okay, Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, and that including in our prayers, how to pray in our prayers. And I want to go back to Matthew chapter 6, because that's known as the Lord's Prayer. But underscore that more for uh, the disciples prayer and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors that's something we always need to remember if we're ever having a hard time forgiving people we need to humble ourselves before god and remember how often he forgives us and not the blanket forgiveness although that's the big picture god's forgiven us past present and future but forgiveness in those things where we know that in our daily walk with God, in our own weaknesses in our lives, that God has been so gracious, so loving, so forgiving, so patient, so kind. All of that should be mirrored in our conduct as we follow Jesus. So forgiveness is a big deal in our walk with Jesus. Jesus taught us to see forgiveness from God and others. We're to seek his forgiveness. We're to give forgiveness to others, right? And we're asked for forgiveness from others. Now, I know we're not a Jewish body of believers, but on the other hand, spiritually, we are part of a Jewish, we're united in Christ. We are spiritual Jews, the scripture talks about. And so we're going to look at a, a Jewish holiday that is significant in dealing with repentance and forgiveness and helping them to have that relationship that God wants them to have. Last week, we looked at Rosh Hashanah. It's the Jewish New Year. It's a time for new beginnings. It, it gave a call for repentance. 
You know, hey, everybody, come to church. It's a call for repentance. How, how much would that go over? <laughs> and we're having a packed house, right? But see, this is a different focus. This is, this is Rosh Hashanah, which is so significant. And, and, and they're building up to that point. They even count to the, the days coming up to Rosh Hashanah. And they know how important it is in the, in the Jewish culture. And so following Rosh Hashanah are the 10 days of awe, culminating in Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. What's atonement? The payment for sin, right? The taking away of sin. Those have, in Jewish history, we have the, the atonement was only a patch. It didn't take away the sin, it covered the sin. But Jesus took away our sin. He's, he's the atonement that took away our sin completely. And we have that confidence in him because of that. So this week, so this last week, the Jewish people would have been afflicting themselves by giving up certain physical pleasures. They, like they wouldn't eat, they wouldn't drink, they wouldn't have marital relations to prepare themselves for the Day of Atonement, which takes place tomorrow, right? They would be fasting and praying and examining their lives this last week and then repenting of what they needed to repent of and seeking God's forgiveness and atonement. And this special 10 days of repentance established by God emphasizes to us that forgiveness is not an elective choice. Forgiveness is part of our Christian walk, our Christian character, who we are called to be. Repentance and forgiveness are requirements and central to our faith. We need to be practicing forgiveness. We need to be practicing repentance. These are essential to our faith in Jesus Christ. God wants us to be free rather than captive. Isn't that true? If we're not forgiving, we only enslave ourselves to a bitter captivity. That's, that's just what happens. We become bitter, 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 and enslaved to it. And so God wants us to be free of any type of bitterness. He doesn't want us to be captive to that bitterness. So forgiveness is something that we should ask God to help us to have the grace to uh, freely give that forgiveness, even if it's not asked for. That's a tough one. It's like, okay, you asked me for it, you got it. But if you don't ask me for it, you know, I got a little bit more of a wrestling match. I have to come to terms with it myself and say, you know what, I need to get over this. This is not good. And I need to just forgive regardless. Because that's my, it's affecting my relationship with Jesus. And so we have to know forgiveness. So God wants us to be free rather than captive, transformed rather than imprisoned. And when we don't seek forgiveness from God or others or for our sins or are unwilling to give, for, to give forgiveness to others, we are imprisoned. So if you see a bitter Christian, the probability is they've not been a very forgiving Christian. You see a bitter Christian, a critical Christian, and that's sad because that's not the life that God wants anyone to live, but particularly his children, Christians. Rabbi Jason Sobel said, as God mended our broken relationships with him, he called us to be fixers, restorers, repairers of the world. Jesus said that he loves peacemakers. When, when people are genuinely, sincerely, willing and desirous to be peacemakers 
that's pleasing to God. And we have opportunity to bring him glory by doing that. Jesus taught the disciples some other key points about forgiveness. Look at Jane, I mean, Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, because that was the culture, right? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Do not keep a chart with a person's name, 777 lines, and that's it. You know, that's not the point. We know that. The point is, is that it's indefinite. Because that's the relationship that God has with us. We can seek him and forgiveness from him without any um, limit. There's not 777 opportunities. Hey, isn't it interesting that the number seven is the number for perfection? Seven, 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 777 times you're to forgive, which is perfect forgiveness, is continuous forgiveness. That's what God wants us to do. And we have to remember that if we are not willing to do that, then we only enslave ourselves. We are to forgive the repentant and an unlimited number of times as Christ forgives us. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. I take that pretty seriously. I want you to take that seriously also. It's not always easy, but especially in the Lord's Supper time, if you have an, uh, an offense with one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, and you're going to take care of the Lord's Supper. You better make sure you go and try to take care of that. And if you know Lord's Supper is coming, you better make sure that you take care of it if you know it ahead of time. Because that's so important. If, we, if we've offended somebody, we need to make sure, make sure that we're going to them and asking them to forgive us if we're concerned about that. Now, sometimes... I've been accused of going overboard on that. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? You know, we can oversensitize ourselves, but when God is talking to us and making it plain to us, this is the real issue. You understand? This, is, this, this really is something that you need to seek to ask for forgiveness for. Then we need to do that. And we, have, we need to have that discernment from the Lord before we go to the Lord at the altar, before we even serve him in church. If we're walking around doing our thing, doing our calling and serving in the capacity God has us to, but we're carrying around a, a bitterness of heart toward our brother or sister in Christ, we need to take care of that. That's not always easy because sometimes the bitterness is very deep. It doesn't come by, will you forgive me? Oh, okay, bye. You know, it's not an easy fix sometimes. But we are to do our best to make things right, to be peacemakers. It's important, it is more important to be reconciled to others first before performing religious duties, serving in places of ministry, or partaking in the Lord's Supper. God takes it very serious. Think how the enemy works. He'll destroy through bitterness. He destroys relationships that way. He'll destroy us that way. And so the more we harbor it, the more 
blisters up and does its thing, the more we have to deal with. So it's better to take care of it quickly. Talk to the Lord. Make sure you're right with God. If you're not right with God, ask God to show you that. And, and make yourself right with God and make yourself right with the other person. And then you can serve wholeheartedly without that being ignored or on your back of that carrying that bitterness with you. We cannot think that our service to God will cover up our bad relationship with others. Our salvation and relationship with God is not based on system of good deeds outweighing bad things. So keeping the Lord's Supper or continuing to do ministry does not negate the fact that we must seek reconciliation with others. In other words, don't make yourself feel good and try to cover up the, 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 the hurt by, saying, by focusing on all, all the good that you're doing. That's not resolving anything. We need to go, to go to God. We need to be right with God. We need to go to the individual and prayerfully take care of things. It is so important. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Remember, atonement means taking away a sin. That was done by Jesus Christ, our Savior, completely. right? But Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, focuses on reparation. Right? It's, it's restoring things. It's making things right. If we break a relationship with others, we have a responsibility to try to mend it. That's what God will hold you and I accountable to. It starts with our heart with God. It starts with us doing our best through Christ to make it right. We do that, our conscience is clear. The, react, the result of that isn't always what we want. But if we do what we know God wants us to do, our conscience is clear. And then we keep praying. Sometimes we have trouble with wanting to, wanting to mend broken relationships with others because we have not done anything wrong to them. It's easy to say, man, what's, what's they sure got an attitude. It's their problem. We should be going, let's pray. You should, go, you should instantly go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to, I, need, I want to pray for that person. I, I want to, I want to uh, lift them up. I want you to encourage them. I want you to intercede for them. And if there's anything I can do to, to help them, show me what that might be. So important. Relationships and unity. Unity is the key to availability for God's kingdom work. We have to be united in a right heart and right spirit with Jesus in our own life. And the more we're united with a right heart and a right spirit in Christ as the body of believers collectively, the more and greater the opportunity is for God to use us for him and his kingdom. And so we have to keep that in mind. We have to keep that in mind. We have to remind ourselves that Christ died for our sins and forgave us when he did nothing wrong. Think of the most vile person you know and think about loving them with all your heart and forgiving them even though they don't deserve it. And you know it. Well, God, God did that so much more for us. It kind of puts it in perspective and it's humbling. And we need to remember that. 
because we're the beneficiaries of his love and his forgiveness in our lives. And we're to reflect who? Jesus. We're, re we're to reflect him and his character. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin upon himself and became sin. He didn't just carry it. He became sin, which the father turned his back on and hated so that you and I might have the freedom of a clear conscience and a forgiven life through faith in Christ. All of our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus Christ obviously did for us. But he willfully became that sin for us that we might become the righteousness. That means that we might be made right with God. That wasn't fair. <laughs> no, that was love. Love is the key. Lord, help me to love more. Could be a very, very essential part of our prayer life. Help me to love more. Minute relationships aren't about us being right, but about us being righteous. Not self-righteous, but righteous. Right in Christ, loving and compassionate. Doing what's right, being loving, being compassionate. That's what God wants us to do. In 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you be of one mind. I love that. That's, there's that unity thing. Be of one mind, having what? What's the one mind that's being focused on here? Having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Are we tender-hearted for each other? You know, are we? Are we? Are we, do we have a tendency that we have a, a personality type that says, "Well, we're we feel pretty self-righteous and 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 uh, qualified to come and just slap you down, knock you down, tell it like it is. There it is. It's in your face. Take it or leave it. Too bad because you know it's right. So do I. Is that tender-heartedness? No, You're not, love is not in there, pride is. We need to be careful about that. We can know what's right, but we can misuse what's right. And we have to be humble people and a loving people, a tender-hearted people, compassionate people, a courteous people. Those are the things and the characteristics, because think, I, I was thinking about this. Jesus is compassionate towards me. What, compassion, hey, I'm going to go to the Lord and talk to him about something that I know that I'm not proud of, and then what does he do? He shows compassion. I don't deserve it. shows compassion. He, he warms my spirit, my heart, my soul, who I am with his love. I love you. I'm right here. God is tender-hearted for us. He's not... He's not towing the line like a hard judge that's got a hammer ready to crack down on you. No, he's tender-hearted, although God is judge of all. And to think of God being courteous, God has manners. <laughs> God can toe the line. He can, he can make it plain when it's needed, but he has manners. That's how I see the word courteous there. It's being thoughtful of who we are. He thinks about who we are. He knows who we are in our entirety. And he's courteous. 
So, Pastor, you're really humanizing God while Jesus was human and is human. 100% God, 100% man. Very loving, very compassionate, very tenderhearted, very courteous. When he looked at the woman that was caught in adultery, he says, woman, stand up. He didn't, he didn't revile her. We see that tenderness of heart. This is the one mind with Christ that God wants us to have with one another. But we're to carry that over how we treat not just brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to carry that over in our everyday connection with people. Not easy. But God gives grace when we rely on him. As Christians, we are to love others as Christ loved us. Let that be your governing line. How much has God loved you, forgiven you, been compassionate to you, tenderhearted towards you, etc.? All the time. Even when we don't ask it, even when we don't deserve it, right? Because he loves us. Pray for more love. And when we love others, we care about their hurts. And we care about their progress in their walk with the Lord. Others can get a, a bitter taste in their mouths because of how they were treated by other Christians. And this can hinder and stop their growth. We should not want to be the cause of that. Unfortunately, I've heard people say many times, oh no, I'm not going to do church. I've seen hypocrisy. I've seen the way they treat each other. I see the ugliness of our of sinful nature. I don't need it. And so they're convinced that it's not necessary for their spiritual walk with God. But it is. God's commanded that we go to church. It's not a propaganda statement. It's, it's a forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some are. Why? That you can encourage each other as you see, see the day approaching. We're bound together, we're bonded together in love, and we're standing together, holding each other up in prayer and, 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 and helping each other to grow in the Lord. I've not seen anybody that doesn't go to church truly grow in the Lord. Maybe in knowledge, they might grow in biblical knowledge. A non-believer can study the Bible and have knowledge. But there's far more than knowledge. There's, there's love and wisdom at hand. And that can only come through our relationship with God. So we don't want to cause someone to stumble. We need to be careful about how we relate to one another. After we have sincerely sought forgiveness or to mend relationships, we cannot beat ourselves up about it and hinder our growth because they don't agree to forgive us. I said that earlier. We do our best to make things right whether it's received or not is up to the individual. And if it's not received, we keep praying and keep loving. But we don't allow ourselves to fall into the trap of being embittered because of it. Just continue to pray for them, love them, and wait. And continue on in your walk, free of guilt. I love what Paul reminded us about uh, these prayers in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. God is a God of peace. Peace primarily with people, individuals, in their relationship with him, and that that should be extended from us out to others. And God uses our, our relationship with him to sanctify us, or to set, a, set us apart for him as his people. That's what he wants to do. He wants to, he wants to allow us to live a life of peace, with joy. doesn't mean peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the assurance of a clear conscience with God and walking in assurance of him and his power of life. Because you're always going to have problems. Reading it again, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, set you apart completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body, that's all we are, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. What does that mean? We are already blameless in God's eyes, but we still live in a sinful nature. <laughs> it's, a, it's a quandary, isn't it? But God is working in our life to teach us to be more like him, sanctified, set apart, to be a holy people, called by him. But at the end result, as he's shaping us and making us into that new person he wants us to be in him, one day all of us will be presented to, to, to Christ as the bride, pure, unwrinkled, no error, no fault, no, nothing hidden, made right, completely perfect in Christ. It's, it's like, it's like, I don't know, this might be a weird thought, and I'm trying not to chat, rabbit chase this, but I can imagine sometimes a bride would walk out just before it's time to go down the aisle, and she's going, does everything look right? Oh my goodness, do I have this, do I have this, or whatever? You know what I'm saying? Everything look good, and oh, I hope her be happy with the way I look, and all that stuff, all the insecurities. When we're presented to Christ, there will be no insecurity we will be absolutely confident in the work that God has done in presenting us faultless to Jesus. Faultless. We won't be all worried about it. So the absence of worry will be what? The fullness of joy. <laughs> We're going to be presented to Jesus as the body of Christ, which is known as the bride of Christ, as, with, without any, anything holding us back from joy. No insecurity, absolutely presented, sanctified nature. That's what that means. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Do what? Back up. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How wonderful is that? There's another point to that. There's also the, the, the reality that we can walk right with God even with a sinful nature. And our goal is to walk a life that's blameless. And you say, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Can't do that. But you keep on task. You keep your heart right with God. 
You get dirt on your clothes, you brush them off. You've got to wash them off. Those are the sin and the guilt and all that stuff. You deal with that before God and you, and you find his compassion, his love, his forgiveness, his tenderheartedness that makes us continuously clean as we yield ourselves to him. And we walk that way in a right relationship with Jesus. That's the blameless that's being spoken of here as well. Repentance and forgiveness are part of the sanctification process. And it's God's work in us that prepares us for eternity. As we learn to repent, which means having a humble heart before God, acknowledging where we're wrong and truth and honesty, and we seek his forgiveness, that shapes us more into the people he wants us to be and enables us to be the people that can show more forgiveness and show more, more grace to those that we are engaged with. Sanctification is the process that frees us from sin and makes us holy. The more we yield to God and not to ourselves, the more we deal with sin and get rid of that through confession that guilt is removed, the more we are clearly, distinctly identified as being separate for God. God will see Jesus in you. Would it be a wrong thing to say that we all want people to see Jesus in us? If we're really following Jesus, we want people to see Jesus in us. We're not ashamed of Jesus. We're proud and thrilled to know and love and have that relationship with him. But who's doing the sanctification and completing in it for us? Who's doing that? Obviously, the God of peace. The God of peace sanctifies us and preserves us as blameless. He is faithful and will do it. Now, I think when we die and we go to heaven and we're presented there, we're there. We're received by Christ. How glorious that's going to be. But when the time comes when the bride is snatched up from the earth, the church is taken up out of the world and presented as that sanctified, holy unwrinkled, unscathed, no scars, just perfect, without any anxiety or worry presented to God. That's you and I. God will complete us that way. We'll have that joy. Do you get what I'm saying about that? It's kind of, a, kind of an abstract picture. Do you understand at all what I'm saying? We can enter into God's presence without guilt, shame, or fear but with full confidence in that the work of God in our lives has made us to be holy, righteous in Christ, and fully acceptable with nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of, taken care of. Praise God for that. The God of peace sanctifies us and preserves us as blameless. He is faithful and will do it. Even when we may think we've sinned, so horribly against God or someone else, the God of peace will help us through the repentance and forgiveness process. How many mass, I don't know who the guy was years back, years, years, years ago, that was a mass murderer, and I don't know if it was Chuck Smith, some Christian leader was talking to him, he was on death row, he was gonna go ahead and be executed, but he had asked God for forgiveness. And he gained that forgiveness. And he had that assurance. That's what God does. It doesn't not matter where we've been. God's forgiveness is for everybody. For everybody. 
The God of peace will give us peace. So once our God of peace has completed his work of sanctification in us, we will be ready for our wedding day. God is sanctifying us. That means he's setting us aside for him. He's working in our lives to help us yield our lives to him, this side of heaven. But he's also preparing us to be fully presented freely as the bride of Christ. Without fault. Without fear. Praise God. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. That's us. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. The, did you see that? It, it, it says, And bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The more we live for Christ, the more we yield to him, those righteous acts, in other words, doing what's right in God's eye, in him and through him and for him, is what is reflected in the bride when we're presented. So the more we're doing that, the more that glory is presented as the bride. And we're a part of that. It's abstract, but one day we're going to see it in, in, in its entirety. And we're going to understand it. And we're going to go, thank you, God, for loving us so much and forgiving us and being your love can't, the depth of your love can't even be described. Our sanctification process will make us as, as a beautiful bride on our wedding day, enjoying the celebration with great rejoicing. Now, as a guy, I have a problem with that picture because <laughs> I'm thinking, see, put this face on a bride. You know, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's something that throws it off, the analogy there. But when we're looking at all of us as, as the body of Christ, whom Christ died for, whom Christ loves, and he's, he's excited and waiting for the very moment when God the Father says, go, get them. He's sitting on his throne waiting for the Father to say, go and get them. And he'll snatch us up out of this world and we'll be all together there. What a glorious, 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 glorious time that will be. We may view taking care of sins with God and others as extremely difficult now, but the end results are wonderful. You see, how we conduct ourselves, how we deal with these things in a way that's pleasing to God will be honored by God in a very wonderful way. It'll shape us and make us be more of what he wants us to be now, but it will be reflected in glory, in a glorious way, forever in heaven. You know, it's not like the bride comes and she's presented in heaven and all the glory of the bride, which is the, the church, the body of believers, and then it's presented and then it's, the wedding's over. There is a wedding period in heaven, but the bride is always there with Jesus. You have a wedding ceremony because you're uniting in a deeper way in your relationship with God in heaven and how wonderful that's going to be. So, the Apostle Paul taught us through his prayer for the Thessalonians. It all starts with us seeking that God of peace help. The God of peace. We seek his help. 
through seeking repentance, forgiveness, and reparations, our lives and the lives of others are transformed, and as a result, we will glorify God. We're the bride. And that's what it's all about. So let's start thinking about any forgiveness issues we have. And even though we're not Jewish, it's the Yom Kippur week, but the principle is good to make sure that we're dealing with these things rightly before God. And then go to the God of our peace and prayer like the Apostle Paul and Jesus taught us. Deal with it. And learn to be like him. Right? A gracious, beautiful bride that loves her groom. That's who you and I are. We're called to be a gracious people. Beautiful in character. That honors the groom. Let's go Lord in prayer. Father, um, help us to, to meditate on what this message said. I mean, we get the forgiveness. We get that. And we may be having to deal with things like that. Um, learning how to be compassionate and loving and courteous and um, having the character that you want us to have Help us to focus on that as well. Help us to reflect you and your character in our life because you live in us and you treat us with the best of love, the greatest of compassion, all these, all these virtues that you allow us the privilege of are not restricted just for us, but help us, Father, to reflect how you treat us by us treating others that way. And I pray, Father, please, that in that, that, that you will be seen and that you will be glorified through that and that people, that ourselves and others will be blessed and um, affected in a way in their walk that will help them and, and all of us to be the people you've called, you called us to be, this side of heaven. But we also praise you, Father, for the fact that you are going to complete this work in its entirety. And the joy of knowing that we are used of you to bring you glory in all your righteousness and all you are and all your holiness that you allow us to be a part of that is a tremendous blessing. Words can't really appreciate it enough. So I'm asking, Father, please, you help us to think on these things, meditate on it, and, and, to, and to praise you and to thank you for who you are in our life, how you're working in our life, and what the end product of our life here and, and, and in eternity will be. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.